Welcome everyone to Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren. Uh, thank you for, for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. You can go to unsafespace.com and find all the ways to support us there as well as our old content. Uh, today, I'm very happy to have someone with us who can talk about the Duncan Lemp case and, and the issues around it in general. Um, I'm joined by Rini Sandler. Rini is a Maryland trial attorney and former prosecutor in the state of Maryland. Ms. Sandler is representing the Lemp family following the death of 21-year-old Duncan Lemp, who was killed by Montgomery County Police during their attempts to execute a search warrant at the Lemp residence at 4.30 a.m. on March 12, 2020. You can follow her on social media on Twitter at Sandler Law LLC. And you can go to her website, sandlerlawllc.com. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. Um, Rini, welcome to Unsafe Space. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I guess I could, we should start by just, I know, I know not everyone is familiar with the Duncan Lemp story. I know there's probably areas that uh, you want to tread lightly on because there is an ongoing case. But can you give people a background of what happened on, on March 12th? Sure. On March 12th, the Montgomery County Police here in Montgomery County, Maryland, in Potomac, Maryland, attempted to execute what we call a no-knock warrant on the home of Duncan Lemp. Uh, Duncan was a 21-year-old young man, very bright. Uh, he was into technology and into that field, and he was asleep uh, next to his girlfriend, and also in the home were his parents, it was his parents' home, and his brother. Everyone was sleeping about 4.30 in the morning when police attempted to execute a search warrant on the home. They had obtained that warrant the day before on March 11th uh, before a circuit court judge. Um, so that's the, the backdrop um, of, of what happened. And unfortunately, during the attempt, uh, Duncan was killed. Now. The police, I've seen at least three different stories from the police. Um, and, and again, if there's stuff you can't talk about, that's fine. Just tell me. But, I, you know, what I've seen in the media is the police have said that he confronted them. They gave him orders. They were very clear about issuing war, uh, orders and compliance instructions. Um, they don't really talk about how they managed to shoot the girlfriend in this entire thing. But the family and everyone else in the house says what you just said. They were asleep. He was asleep with his girlfriend. Um, they threw flashbangs in. They, I think there was even some claims that he was maybe even shot before they entered the house. Um, and the family says they don't have any warning. They didn't hear any warnings. Um, to the extent that you're allowed to, can you help us sort out that discrepancy? Sure. Uh, for you and, and for your, your viewers, I want to make clear one thing, and that is that we have been consistent since March 12th. Uh, as to what happened in this matter. There were witnesses, particularly the girlfriend, inside the home that can provide a first-hand account of what took place. The police, on the other hand, have given multiple inconsistent statements that just get more dramatic and more contrary to the evidence the more that they talk. So one thing is clear. 4.30 in the morning, the Lemp family, which includes a Duncan and his girlfriend, were all sleeping. They were awoken to the sound of flashbangs and shots. And in the course of that, no police officer was inside the house when Duncan was shot through the window and killed. That's very different than the story that police are saying about 
confronting him in the house and giving him orders. Sure. So the one thing that the police have not denied in any report is that they shot him through his bedroom window. You have to, you know, wonder about that fact. So what they're the police are saying and what they're not saying is incredibly significant here. But the fact that they even obtained this warrant uh, the day before, in our view and from our investigation, uh, that should never have happened. So maybe, uh, actually, I want to talk about the warrant in a minute, but I just have one last question about what happened in the house. Aren't there body cams? Don't we have police with body cams nowadays? Can't we just release footage and see what happened? So what's interesting here is we have been requesting preservation of the body cameras. This was a SWAT unit. Uh, the By SWAT regulations, all of our investigation reveals that the lead SWAT team member must have the body camera on at all times. Now, in fact, the Lemp family will tell you and the girlfriend that throughout this whole encounter with police, they were consistently saying, you're being recorded, you're being recorded, you're being recorded, which is consistent with body camera uh, protocols and body cameras being worn. So we believe they exist. They have not been turned over. We've made repeated requests of the county. They refused to talk with us. They had refused to meet with the family and they have refused to turn over the body cameras. Wow. Uh, I don't know how they get away with that uh, in a free country, but okay. Um, what? Let's, let's talk about the warrant a little bit because when people hear you know, when I first hear, even 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 being the libertarian type of guy I am, when I first hear a no-knock warrant, I assume, oh, this is a dangerous guy. They have to like rush in, and or he's got drugs. I mean, I'm against drug laws, but I, I assume that that's why a lot of no-knock warrants are issued because they're worried about destruction of evidence of some kind. Um, that's immediately where my mind goes. It, was that the case here? No, it wasn't the case here, and that's an excellent question. So no-knock warrants and, and the policy and reasoning behind it is to protect everybody. Uh, so the police want to have the element of surprise so evidence is not destroyed, uh, but also for their own safety. They're trying to protect themselves. So here, the warrant was obtained based on a belief by police that Duncan was a prohibited person. We don't believe he was, and we are waiting for the proof that under the law, he was in fact someone who should not have had weapons. The police have refused to show us to any verification or proof that he fit into that category. And we are unaware of nothing that would put him in that category. So we take issue with the fact that this warrant was obtained just based on that. But the no knock again, pretty standard in search warrants, um, at least in the state of Maryland, uh, to obtain them uh, without requiring the police to announce themselves and their presence and to go in at, at a crazy hour of the day, meaning higher degree of possibility or probability in this case that somebody would be hurt or killed. So I, this is confusing to me because um, I don't understand if there's no imminent threat, like even if he was prohibited from owning firearms. So Maybe we should just back up. There was, I guess, an anonymous tip that he owned firearms and police are claiming he wasn't supposed to, um, right. which is where what you were just talking about. Even if someone were, were in possession of firearms who was prohibited, I think their, their story is he's, he was prohibited until the age of 30 and he was 21. Um, 
even if that were the case, that doesn't make him an imminent threat. Did the judge, when the warrant was issued, was there this recognition that, oh, yes, we think not only does he have firearms, but he's going to shoot back and he's like a, a big threat. And like, that's why we have to go in guns blazing. Now, this piece of paper that I have right here, we're waiting for the unsealed warrant right now. We just filed an emergency motion to unseal the actual affidavit by the police officer. But the little bit of information in this warrant that I have here omits any fact, any suggestion, anything that would, would give anyone reason to believe that Duncan Lemp was a threat, and particularly there's no imminent threat. Now, one thing I want to say is that that anonymous tip came later. I think that might have been in the third police statement. Um, and the anonymous statement was from back in January or the beginning of the year, it said. So they get an anonymous tip. They wait until March 11th. Don't yeah. don't provide anything to the judge and any under oath information that there was any imminent threat. Go in at 430 in the morning and shoot and kill someone through the front bedroom window. That's what this case is. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty shocking. And, and I, you know, the anonymous tip thing is also really disturbing because you've heard of the, the term swatting someone has become a verb, right? You've, you've heard this, this idea now where anyone can call an anonymous tip on anyone else. And potentially this could happen to any one of us. You could be sleeping in bed and someone called an anonymous tip. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. Uh, and they get what a judge is just going to issue a, a no knock warrant and they're going to come in guns blazing and you're dead. That's what they did here. That's exactly what they did here. And it, you and your viewers should be absolutely terrified that that is what is going on in this country. Now, look, the, we'll talk about red flag laws and, and what they mean, but they certainly didn't mean this. Right. This, there was no, according to our own investigation, there was nothing imminent here of any danger to anyone. And, and the police, police haven't presented anything that suggests nothing, otherwise. Nothing, nothing. Are they so, explaining how they shot his girlfriend? Because they never really had a narrative for that. She was, I want to be clear, she was not shot. There's oh, I thought I, she was, I thought she was. No, that was a news was, report, I guess I misread. No, that was that was not accurate. She, um, she was not shot, uh, she was injured. Um, you know, you think about the the trajectory of, of um, shots coming through an, a double pane window. Uh, there were injuries. She was handled in a very physical manner by the police uh, with glass all over. She, she was cut up and injured. Uh, oh. She was not shot. Well, the fact that she was cut by the window actually seems to corroborate this idea that someone shot through the window. So uh, I guess that makes sense. But um, okay. So let's. I would again point out they have not denied that. They have not denied that fact. It's interesting that you say that because when I read their accounts, as, I, as my recollection is that you're right, they didn't actually deny that. But boy, did they imply that that wasn't the case. They certainly have this narrative about, well, we talked to him and then we went in the room and that's when he died. They, like, they didn't mention, like, maybe we shot him before we went in the room and watched him die when we went. I don't, I don't really know. Their implication is certainly different than that, I guess. Look, the, I'm not sure they have an evolving position at this point, and in my view, three different positions. Uh, but look, when that when that warrant gets unsealed, we will see what the officer relied on, what he told the judge, 
and match that up against these evolving uh, police statements. Um, and this case is not going away. We, we will hold those accountable accountable. So it seems that would might include not only the police, but the judge. I mean, in, just as a layperson, it seems ridiculous to issue a no-knock warrant to someone who's not a threat on an anonymous tip. So uh, how do we hold judges accountable? I mean, other than electing them, it seems like judges get away with doing this stuff and then the police just hide behind, well, a judge said we could. Look, judges are almost always immune from just about everything. Uh, we don't know what the police officer said to the judge. We don't know what's in the affidavit. Uh, there's a lot missing here. Uh, so before I go pointing at, at the judge in this case, um, the judge is relying on an oath taken by an officer and we need to hold that officer accountable for each and every one of those words presented to that judge. That's fair. So uh, I guess maybe a good time now would be to transition to why um, why anonymous tips are given so much weight and why can an anonymous tip turn into something like this? What's the rationale behind that? Because Maryland is not the only state that has laws like this. Well, it's usually an anonymous tip plus, and I think we're missing the plus here, meaning anonymous tip that can be investigated and is deemed credible and is corroborated how. That's lacking here. And I think any police department investigators, law enforcement generally employs a practice of such, but it's just missing here. So anonymous tip, if there was actually anonymous tip, think about that. Uh, am I ever going to see what the report actually was from this anonymous person? Is there such a person? Can we track it back to an actual individual? What a safe thing to fall back on in this case. Yeah. So there's a lot to investigate as to whether or not there was, in fact, an anonymous tip and why they sat for almost three months on it. Yeah. So what just uh, before we move on from this particular case, What's the current, I mean, I think we've kind of got an idea, but what's the kind of current status with the family has, has hired you, I assume, to um, look into this here and represent them? Um, what's the, the overall status and what's the timeline we can expect for getting some kind of resolution here? Sure. So the family has hired um, myself and another attorney, Jonathan Fellner. We represent them um, and we're investigating uh, any potential state and federal claims that they may have as a result of the intrusion of the police, the killing of their loved one inside his home, uh, whether or not uh, there was fraud or, or misconduct, whether or not procedures were or weren't followed, uh, just a host of things that we'll be looking at as, as time progresses. We filed an emergency motion this week uh, with on Tuesday with the clerk of the court to on an emergency basis to release and unseal the warrant uh, there was a 30-day hold, it was sealed, and uh, we have moved to have that unsealed uh, to allow us to inspect it. Okay. And is there any, if it turns out there was wrongdoing, do, is there an opportunity for the police to face criminal charges, not just civil charges? Uh, right now, there is a criminal investigation. Obviously, the target of this was Duncan Lem for, in the warrant. He's dead. Uh, there should be, and we have been told there is, a criminal investigation into the death of Duncan Lepp. So that will, you could take from that that the officer that shot and killed him is being investigated for potentially for 
for murder. Uh, we know that Duncan's death was a homicide, according to the medical examiner, and the family was told by a detective that that's what they were investigating. Uh, that is to be seen. So. Okay. So m- maybe it's a good time to then just start talking more broadly about uh, something that's been in the news a lot lately, which is these red flag laws. And the reason I think the red flag laws are important is regardless of of any other reasons, I mean, the, the main reason police gave was possession of firearms. Um, and w- regardless of whether he was allowed to have them or not, uh, possession of firearms was the big scary thing that, that needed to be addressed. Um, and, you know, people have been seeing in multiple states these red flag laws pop up. Can you talk about, at least in Maryland, um, how they work and how they can be misused? Sure. So Maryland's red flag laws are new. They're only a couple years old. And they evolved from public safety uh, issues and concern and a, and a population here that although they respect rights uh, for gun owners, there's also the whole anti-gun, you know, we shouldn't be permitted to own guns, um, factions of, of our population as well. So they, they arose a couple years ago from the legislature, uh, the governor signed it, and what they're meant to be are emergency action by police after a judge or commissioner signs an order to take guns from a person who shouldn't have them, meaning the person presents some risk either in a mental health crisis or some other articulable issue that poses an emergency and that person shouldn't have guns. It can be filed by uh, a cohabitant of a home, a blood relative, someone in a relationship, police officer, but it allows those people to file on an emergency basis to remove the guns from someone they believe shouldn't have it. And then what's, is there a procedure that verifies? I mean, what if you have, I actually have a friend who, um, in the midst of a divorce proceeding, the, the, his, I guess, ex, uh, decided to whip out some red flag stuff. I mean, I'm not exactly sure the laws in the state that they're in, but he's not allowed to own firearms at the moment because of this. But there's been no physical threats. There's no insanity. There's nothing. It's just she whipped it out and there was not really a defense. Right. During the pendency of a domestic violence order or just domestic orders here in Maryland, you, you cannot possess a firearm. And look, are they used for um, uh, improper purposes or to get a leg up in a custody case or to get back at someone? Yes. I could tell you horror stories of people who have been uh, ultimately vindicated but wrongfully accused in these extreme risk protective orders, ERPOs are what they are called in Maryland with the red flag equivalent. Um, But yes, are they misused? Absolutely. And I'll tell you something, the new practice here is in every case involving a gun or a threat of a gun on the criminal side, the police officer files the corresponding ERPO. An ERPO is a civil case. So civil case on the red flag side, criminal charge on the other, you're getting hit twice uh, by the police in Maryland. So, I mean, that's surprising. I didn't realize police used civil suits to to harass you. But I, I guess the thing that's bothering me the most is 
this idea that you're what I'm hearing from you is you're guilty until you're proven innocent. Like you have the guns taken away, you're punished during the process of deciding whether you're guilty. So uh, I want to be clear for, for you and your viewers. It, and look, this is an evolving process. And it's a little bit it, it is a little bit technical and difficult. But to, to go back for a moment to what we were just talking about. Yes, police are using a civil remedy which is the red flag law, ERPOs, in certain criminal cases to charge a crime and to bring this civil action, which has criminal penalties. So I want to be clear on that. And it's, it's a, I find them problematic. Yep. But with regard to what happens, the standard is so low on the, for the interim or temporary order. That's the first part. You get this temporary order based on a representation or belief. Like he said he was gonna kill me. Uh, I'm being dramatic, but I'm using that. And does he own a gun? Yes, he does. That's enough. They issue the temporary order, you go back in seven days, and the respondent who had their guns taken has to prove that either they didn't say it, they didn't mean it, or it wasn't intended in order to overcome a final order. That seems awfully backwards. Yeah. Yes. So, all right. So these are rolling out more in the country. Um, let's couple them with no knock warrants. And I think, you know, I have my own political opinion about no knock warrants, but I think a lot of regular people view no knock warrants as maybe something that's justified in certain cases. You mentioned some some like destruction of evidence and, and cops protecting themselves as two reasons. Are those all like, are we seeing no-knock warrants being issued in other cases? I mean, are they reasonably being issued? So I don't want to mislead you or your viewers with regard to the use of no-knocks. I Look, I was a prosecutor here in Maryland. I've been doing this a long time as a defense attorney. The typical warrant is a no-knock warrant. So I don't I don't want to give the impression that they're limited to you know, the types of cases like with allegations like the Lemp case. I see them across the board, and certainly you see them uh, in any in any case involving allegations of weapons. So no knocks are very common, and again, no knocks four o'clock, four thirty in the morning execution. So what's the justification for that? Because in the olden days, it seems like they would be like. Knock, knock, it's the police. We have a warrant. Um, why is it so... What's the justification for such liberal use of no-knock warrants? I, I think the evolution of drugs, the evolution of the combination of drugs and guns uh, present together, uh, just inherently an inherent increase in dangerous activity. But remember, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about articulated facts of probable cause by the police in an affidavit for a search warrant. Not, and I, was, I just want to say again, not to contrast it with the Lemp case, an anonymous tip back in January, waiting almost three months to go in a house. So that is, that is not something you see very often for a no-knock warrant. That slim, slight, barely makes it type of case. Got it. Got it. Um, so I, I guess, what do you see as, um, 
do, do you see this the the red flag laws and the no knock warrants as as getting um, to be a bigger problem moving forward? Because you know, I I I hear what you're saying that there's there's validity to the no knock warrants in in the sense that um, you know there's the quote war on drugs and then the police trying to protect themselves and it's, it's, they've gotten to be more common and n- normal warrants or no knock warrants, uh, but. It's it's not clear to me that there's really an end to this. We've seen a militarization of the police over the past several decades. Um, you know, the police didn't used to have uh, full militarized body armor and and execute right. raids. That's something that we see very regularly now. It seems like the police largely are just not held accountable for their actions. I can't disagree with you. I hope, I really hope that you'll have me back on when the warrant is unsealed so that we can talk more freely about things I'm not able to discuss right now uh, on that point of militarization and police conduct. Um, it's troubling. It, it's very, the police conduct is troubling um, just in the way they carry themselves in the in the gear that they wear and things about this case that we'll disclose at a later date. Um, just, just very, very troubling where things are heading. Um, at least where where I am here in Maryland, and I'm sure across the country. Yeah, and there seems to be also this just general, even just public sentiment. There seems to be this general idea that like, well, if if the guy has guns, he must be bad. There must be some, you know, the that that automatically authorizes, uh, you know excessive use of force or at least as militarized police force is necessary when uh you know historically everyone had guns <laughs> lots of people have guns they don't doesn't make them bad well look i the the treatment of of this family since this ha- look they were all held at gunpoint they uh, you know the his girlfriend was had to look at duncan lem's body for over an hour right in front of her uh, the way they were treated is all is all part of it too, you know the mentality, the um, the treatment of others. They were victims. They were victims. Yeah. And uh, the fact that that these folks have have been given absolutely no explanation, and we're more than thirty days out, is it, just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I'm a parent. I have kids. Uh, I can't imagine what they're what they're going through. Yeah, that's a great point. I, 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 I'm also a parent. I can't imagine it. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not just Duncan who is the victim. That's an excellent point. Um, so look, I think, uh, I think maybe we should have you back Rini when, when we learn more information, when the, when the warrant is unsealed. Um, so let's, let's end it there and try and have you back when we've got more information. Is there anything else that you want to tell our audience about either this situation or the evolution of these laws in general? Look, the evolution of these laws is in my, I was not in favor of these just as an individual who sees these kinds of matters in court every day. I don't think it was well thought out. And I say that because at the the average everyday person who owns a gun is susceptible to a false report or the misuse of this law. And it's exactly what happened when something called a peace order came out many years ago, which allowed neighbors to file restraining orders against neighbor neighbors. They were abused. They were overused. The courts became overrun. 
there needs to be a check and balance for these in a way that protects people who are lawful gun owners and should maintain those rights. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just one last question. I just thought of it. It just popped into my head. <laughs> sure. What happens in the case legally? What happens in the case in which, let's say, Duncan happened to be awake at 430 because he couldn't sleep and someone fires shots through his window and bursts through his, I don't know if this is what's happened, but let's just say fires shots through his window and bursts through his window and not knowing who they are, he fires back as a rational person might do in self-defense and kills a police officer. What happens? Well, the person, if the person is a lawful gun owner, which most people are, they're entitled to defend themselves. And they can under Maryland law, even with deadly force. Uh, They were met with deadly force, they can use deadly force. So this case will evolve, we will talk further about it. uh, But that's the exact issue that is happening around the country that have resulted in the deaths of police officers. When you do a no-knock warrant, 4.30 in the morning, upon someone you believe or know to have guns, your exact hypothetical is what's occurring. Yeah. Well, uh, Rini, thank you very much for for joining us today. Uh, We'll absolutely have you back. So just uh, let me know when that warrant's unsealed. We'll have you back to chat about it. And I really appreciate you taking the time to explain this to our audience today. Sure. You got it. Thanks for having me.